Hello everyone, welcome back to Astro Hotline. I'm your host Tess and today we're going to be talking about two topics. One of them being self-care and astrology and eclipse and retrograde season overview. Um, with this, we're going to be talking about the amazing lunar eclipse that is happening on Friday at the fourth degree of Aquarius. So if you are fixed, meaning if you have Leo, Scorpio, Taurus, or Aquarius placements, look to see what planets are around the four degree. Um, I would say that you will be affected if it if the planets are about to three to five degree orb. So look to where you have like a three, like zero to seven or eight degree placement in a fixed sign. For me, my Mercury, my Jupiter, and my Uranus are going to be affected. So that's really exciting. I'm all Aquarius, but no matter, even if you don't have a fixed placement, I do think, I do believe that the eclipse is going to affect you. It's going to affect all of us. You know, we're under this eclipse season. We're going through massive changes and it's going to be the longest eclipse ever recorded. So usually eclipses happen for about an hour and 30 minutes. This one's going to be an hour, an hour and 40-ish minutes. It's going to be really cool. Um, and it's going to be a lunar eclipse. So it's going to be a full moon Aquarius. And then we're going to have another one, a new moon Leo. And that's going to be, I think, a solar eclipse. <sighs> so it's going to be a lot of powerful energy. Um on top of this retrograde season that's happening so we have mercury retrograde coming in tomorrow in the sign of leo so that's going to add something right but you know the standard protocol just be aware be more cautious we're going to get into more detail but just letting you know it's not as simple to not as not as difficult to grasp um I don't think you should be afraid of retrograde season. I think the people who are afraid of retrograde season obviously think that it's going to be the absolute worst. But things don't intentionally fuck up to fuck you up. Things fuck up to teach you a lesson because you're not doing something that you need to be doing. So to avoid a fuck up, do what you need to be to be doing. That's really all there is to it. Um, so yeah. Um, before we dive deep into that, um, I want to make an announcement because I haven't officially announced readings, but I will be next week. So I'll be opening up my store and there's going to be a couple of options available for purchase. The prices range from 45 to 15. And so I do that to make my readings more accessible because I know a lot of people want to get in touch with me. I've been having, you know, DMs, curious cats, whatever the fuck you want to call it. People really wanting to work with me. And I could tell, like, when I respond with the price, they're like, mm, mm. So the reason why I'm making this affordable is because I know a lot of people need guidance. And I think guidance should be accessible. So um, my most expensive option is the full individual birth chart analysis. That is 45 and with that, I go over all of the placements. When I say all the placements, I mean from Sun to Mars. Because the rest don't really mean anything. They're more generational planets. So the context of those planets really affect the generation rather than just you personally. Um, we're going to be talking about rise, you know, rising, midheaven, all you know, the houses, planets that are within the houses. And then we're going to get into um, aspects. 
asteroids and when I say asteroids I mean mostly Chiron which is the big boy that I mostly focus on especially if it's aspecting a personal planet Lilith and then we're also going to get into nodes so it's a lot of work it's very extensive 40 to an hour long session that can take over email dms zoom which is like an app where you can talk over it doesn't really matter to me I'll get in touch with you when you purchase so don't worry about that the more affordable option is the micro option and so people are like well what's the difference well the difference is is that it's not as expensive and i don't cover everything that's covered in the full so you'll still get the major overview you'll still feel satisfied knowing where you stand astrologically um and all that jazz and that's 15 just want to reiterate and then my transits which is basically like your own little personalized horoscope where the planets are transiting through your chart currently and the effects that are happening that's about 15 um solar and saturn returns which is like a fancy way of saying your birthday and where saturn's transiting back into it's where saturn is in your chart natally my brother is currently going through a sudden return. His ass is dying, literally. So, um, that option is available for about 15 to 20. I haven't really solidified on a price yet. Um, but yeah, and I think the last option is Sinastri compatibility. Those are about 20 to $25. The reason why they're not as expensive is because they're not as expensive for me to do. So, yeah, those are my prices. I'll be making announcements and they'll be up on my page. I want to also reiterate that there's only 10 spots available for each option. So, like, once they sold out, they sold out. So, be on top of it. Okay, so let's dive deep into this episode. Um, so, self-care astrology is something that I'm really passionate about. One of the things that I do with my clients is I help them sort of figure out their weak points and where they can improve. And so through that, we develop self-care techniques through their natal chart. And this is something, again, that I'm passionate about. I plan on writing a book about. Currently in the process of writing a book, but like in the mo- like the most simple, basic f- framework right now. So that plans to be like my, my big, big project. Um, so I've been doing a lot of research, a lot of observations of stuff that I did in sessions, of placements, of all these types of things. Um, these ideas are mostly a product of my own. I will be citing other astrologers because some of these topics are not my own. And so when something's not mine, always important to cite. So um, a book that I'm going to recommend, if you're very passionate about how you can use your chart to help you mentally and physically, the book that I just received um, Planets and Therapy, Predictive Technique and the Art of Counseling by Greg Bogart is so good. I think his um, thoughts on the moon and the mercury, which to me are the most important parts of self-care, are so, so, so good. And it really goes in depth with all of the planets. Um, the only thing I don't like about this book probably could be a little bit sensitive is that some of the... Mm, some of the placements that he cites, he says, are most likely to have depression, most likely to have anxiety, and all these things. And for me, it's a little bit hard to kind of say that if you have this certain aspect, you're going to have this illness. You know what I mean? Because I think our mental illnesses are a product of a lot of different things. They're a product of, some would say biological, some would say um, environment, 
product of our traumas, whatever it may be. I don't think astrology, I don't think it's fair for astrology to say that you're going to have depression because you have these two planets in conjunction or these two planets in aspect or all those types of things. I think what astrology can do is provide you some management with whatever illness you have, whatever mental health issues, physical issues you have, um, that can make it easier. It's like a supplement. It's not definitely the cure. I don't, you know, it'd be stupid to, it would be unfair for me to sit here and say, what I'm about to say is going to cure you of your illness. But what I am going to say is that certain things in your chart can help you realize what things can make you comfortable, what, what things that you should be doing when you're going through a really high period of stress that can make things easier for you. Because for me, doing astrology, knowing the things that I need, knowing the things that I tend to do, um, picking up on those habits and then revising or relinquishing them has helped me a lot. It hasn't fully taken away my BBD. It hasn't fully taken away my depression or anxiety or all like my body dysmorphia. It hasn't taken away any of those things. But I know myself a little bit better to help manage myself through times where I find myself in a very dark hole. Um, and through, going, you know, getting through those dark holes is doing self-care. And so we're going to get into that. So self-care is a really big buzzword nowadays because it's become in some ways popularized and, and used for profit. You know how capitalism works, right? And so the definitions are always a little bit more mudded. People don't really know what it means. People think it only means face masks and fucking bubble baths, but it doesn't mean that. One thing you need to know about self-care is that it's not always about indulgence, number one, right? So sometimes you're going to do things that are unpleasant, things that you don't want to do, but it comes from a place of advocating for yourself. So a basic definition that I'm going to give you, and if you have a paper and a pencil or a pen, you may want to write this down so that you know. So self-care is about embodiment. It's allowing yourself to take up space and not feeling bad about doing so. So the best example I could give about this is that marginalized people, meaning if you're a person of color, if you're a queer person, if you're, if you're disabled, if you fall along those, you know, intersections, it's very, you know, someone who doesn't have a lot of power in society is the basic way I could define a marginalized person. So, um... Self-care is seen as something that's very promoted in those communities because of the fact that in society, if you're marginalized, you're not expected or you're not allowed to take up much space. And when you're not allowed to take up much space, you're sort of forced into this little box and you're sort of like you're meant to kind of repress a lot of your experiences, a lot of your emotions because they don't hold any validity in society, especially to the dominant side of society. And so that causes a lot of issues with your mental, your emotional, your spiritual health, whatever it may be. Um, And you're not allowed to really express who you are. And that can be, that can take a lot of toll on someone. You're not allowed to be authentic. You don't have ownership of your body. You're not in touch with your body. And so it creates a lot of shit. So allowing yourself to take up space is so important. And allowing yourself to take up space means having time for yourself, allowing yourself to establish boundaries between other people. Um, and one thing I want to know is that sometimes self-care is not always unpleasant. It's not always pleasant, but it's always feeling good at the end of doing something. So the example I can provide for this 
is the act of cord cutting, which was a term that I heard by Annabelle Gatt, who is an, a great astrologer. She works at Vice. Um, and she's really funny, too. She's, she's really nice. So she cited the process of cord cutting. And so what, when I say that, I mean cutting those connections of people that don't do anything for you, that don't bring good energy into your life, that you find yourself um, compensating for, doing a lot for them, not, them not doing a lot for you. It's getting rid of bad energy that um, doesn't serve you. And so ways of cord cutting, blocking someone, which I recently had to do, long story short, um, someone who I got heavily invested in um, and who I had a really, really bad falling out with, um, I was mutuals with on Instagram and I felt like a weight always on my shoulders when I logged into the app because he was still mutuals with me even though we had like two major falling outs in the span of a week. I finally took the initiative to block him because the more I see him, the like more I feel like this weight, like there's a possibility where like he may come back or like whatever, rekindle whatever we had, it doesn't really matter. But the act of keeping on that negative energy was really taking a toll on me and I had to take, I had to step up to the plate. And so it's doing things that feel really unsettling, really anxious, that you're always thinking about, should I do this, should I not do that? Just doing it, taking that really important step feels so good when you sit down and you realize, wow, like this person is not in my space anymore. Like I'm taking ownership of my space. And so that is self-care. That is such a big part of what self-care is, is taking the ownership of yourself from other people and other habits that are not healthy for you. And realizing that they're not healthy for you takes takes some time. It takes some major reflection, self-actualization, takes a lot of steps. Sorry, I'm drinking water and like the bile is gross. Okay, so we're going to go over that. So another aspect of self-care is that it's an iterative process. So what I mean by that is that the small changes eventually lead to upscale change. So there's small acts of self-care and there's also big acts of self-care. So a big act of self-care is obviously doing the cord cutting. You know, that's like a really big step. Like you're having a catharsis for yourself. You're releasing, you're letting go. Small changes, well, small steps to self-care is... um, Allowing time for yourself. So allowing time for yourself is taking up the space for yourself. So that means like doing something you love for 20 minutes, you know, an activity that makes you feel good. Um, This is kind of like where the whole, you know, face mask thing can kind of fall into. So it's providing comfort for yourself, but allowing that time for yourself makes you feel sort of grounded and centered without feeling completely you know, mixed in with your schedule that like, if it's like two jobs that you're working on top of coursework, like you're allowing that time for yourself. Um, And setting that boundaries with other people, letting yourself take up space. So those small things can actually add up and make you feel more grounded to who you are, you make yourself more comfortable um, with the space that you take up more comfortable with your body. So something I really like to do is journaling. I think that's a really important part of like my whole little self-care routine because that helps me express my identity, helps me realize my identity and like the things that I um, 
I'm really passionate in, which is writing and doodling. I really don't, I'm not ashamed to admit that. I'm really passionate about doodling. Like, it's something I do. And astrology work, I think, for me, is something I'm really, really passionate about. It takes a lot of time on me, but I also feel motivated. And so self-care is feeling motivated. It's being present. It's being aware of yourself and where your identity is taking you and how you formulate your identity. Um, and the biggest thing that I could say, note this, self-care is not the same thing as survival. That's a really big number one thing is self-care is not the same thing as survival. Everyone likes to say that self-care is survival because of how essential it is in our lives. But the things that we do for self-care doesn't stem from survival mechanisms. So the example I provided is self-care is not just thinking about I'm going to do this because of the context of this given moment, but rather I'm going to do this because in the long run, it's going to help me, right? So let me repeat. Self-care is not thinking about I'm going to do this because of the context of this given moment. But rather, I'm going to do this because in the long run, it's going to help me. Self-care, in a way that I think Jessica Lenato, who is another great astrologer, I'm going to reference her a few times because she did a really good talk. Not so much about self-care, but intimacy issues that can also kind of correlate to self-care is... Um, it's about, you know, self-care being all about securing long-term wellness. So it's not doing things in the moment of doing it, but rather doing things knowing that it's going to help you in the future. That's important. So when we think of survival, we mostly do things on instinct-based. So it's not really about long-term wellness, but rather because we're in the moment of doing this, we're going to react to this. And we're survival-based people, so that's going to happen. So like an example I can give is like... um. When we get called out on something, the survival instinct would be to defend ourselves, right? Because obviously if we're being challenged, we're going to jump on the defense. That is a survival-based tactic. But, and this is where I'm going to quote Jessica Lenato on, is that, you know, often when we think about Mercury, which we'll get into that more later, um, in ways this can be very ego-dependent because the way that we articulate ourselves is through speaking, Right? Um, and it's your way of protecting ourselves. So instead of just saying, if someone calls you on your shit, instead of just saying, well, I'm not this because I know who I am and that's not who, that's not what I meant, what I said, you're taking it the wrong way. Rather reflect on it, right? Reflect on what they're saying and think, hmm, maybe they're onto something. And that requires listening. That requires reflection, listening, recognition, self-reflection is so important to self-care because by doing the reflection process we are embodying ourselves because we're embodying our mistakes our lessons the things that we did in the past and so that's really essential to growth which again no surprise is an important part of self-care so it's definitely i would say there are certain times where we could feel that we're being called out for stupid shit but also jumping to the fence every single time. Maybe there's maybe maybe it's best to kind of take in what they're saying and process. So we're gonna get into that more when we get to Mercury. But first, let's go into the Moon. 
because the moon is really important. This is all about our needs and sort of how we secure ourselves. So the reason why I use astrology for self-care is that self-care in itself is very personalized the same way that our birth charts are. And the moon and the mercury are really great starting points on creating techniques that can help secure yourself, that can help make yourself, you know, get into the habit of doing self-care. So the moon is really essential for embodiment, right? It's the, the really essential for the process of embodiment because it acknowledges our past experiences. It relates to our body. It's very visceral. It's our emotional responses. It's our needs, what we need to be comfortable. And it relates to our emotional health and the lines to which we can relate and care for other people. And so the fact that we the moon is very helpful for relation means that it's also really important for like intimacy and how we interact with people and the boundaries that we create with other people and what we do to nourish and care for ourselves so moving onward the moon tells us the space that we need to feel really embodied and the space is different for every sign so examples that i can give is that sag moon i'm gonna pick sag because it's in my head sag moon is one of those moon signs that require a lot of space it's very like in excess and feeling really tied to large collective forces and so the space for a sag moon at their most comfortable is to be emerged in um around everyone or like large crowds um whether it be like going outside a lot or going to concerts parties whatever it may be a really bad space for Sajman is to be in very little spaces to be kind of crammed in with like um with another person or they feel like they're being suffocated and like in certain environments so having a lot of space is really important for Sajman where they can really kind of embody that feeling of connection like large connection so when we think of like a Scorpio moon the space is a little bit different it changes a little bit because the Scorpio moon may not want to be with everyone in a large crowd they may want to um to be in i wouldn't say little spaces but maybe more tighter spaces where they feel sort of connecting with others on a more intimate level and a more private level um where they can really be themselves because it's a sign that's really that's not really focused on large connection but more of a narrow closer intimate connection and so this changes throughout every sign if you want I can make a thread later but I don't want to like spend 15 minutes talking about like how much how much space is this moon sign and body but the important part is to understand that space is very much dictated or influenced by our moon sign and that can really help with how we um stay productive that's how we um emerge ourselves how we you know go through our routines it's all about sort of the space that we allow ourselves to take up so going to my next point is that every moon sign has its own detection system so it's not the issue of who can feel more because every moon sign feels i don't give a fuck what anyone says but the process of detection and allowing yourself to embody that emotion continuing with that theme of embodiment is different for every sign And so we're all emotional, but we process the emotions a little bit differently. We embody them differently. And the one thing I can say about this is that 
when you embody these emotions in a healthy way, they need to be done through your moon, through a lunar way and not a Mercury way. And so this was another point that Jessica Leonardo brought up is that we tend to use Mercury as a way to sort of help our lunar issues and we can't do that, right? Because to be honest, it's gonna make, a, it's gonna make ourselves freak out more. So let me go into what I mean by that. So when you use Mercury to solve your lunar issues, what you're doing is you're rationalizing them, you're um, filtering them, you're putting them through a lot of layers of work to embody them instead of actually being present with the emotion, working through the emotion, and really sort of, again, embodying the emotion. So how you know that you're using your Mercury for lunar issues is thinking immediately of a plan that you're going to use to solve that emotion. So like, for example, if you're having a falling out with a friend and you're like now by yourself and you're thinking about what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do or, you know, thinking of sort of the groundwork of how you're going to solve the issue rather than sort of, you know, sitting with the emotion of stress or, um, of sadness, whatever the emotion that you're feeling and not being, and invading that and going straight into sort of the, the groundwork that you're going to do is a Mercurian way to tackle something. When you're feeling stressed or you're feeling um, separated or whatever it may be, um, thinking about what you're going to say, I think is a really, like for me, when I was um, going through a falling out with someone, I immediately thought about what I was going to say to that person because I was so like mad and, and like stressed and I wanted the situation to be over with. And so instead of just kind of sitting with that madness or sitting with that, instead of reflecting on maybe, hmm, wonder what the fuck was going on there, I immediately like try to type out a response, you know, in my notes app because that's what people tend to do when they get called down their shit. And that made things worse for me. That made me really stressed. I thought about the response the next few hours and I couldn't get any sleep because of it. So instead of just kind of thinking about what you're going to say, what you're going to do, sit with the emotion right? As Jessica Lanana likes to say, be present with it or be aware of it. And so that's really hard for a lot of us because what the fuck does that even mean? What, what do you mean sitting with the motion? And so if you're feeling stressed or mad or sad, allow that reaction to come through. Cry, scream, you know, like do whatever you need to do. Allow the emotion to kind of take over you, knowing that it's not the next day it's probably going to go away. And I say that with the utmost truth because despite, you know, being upset, I know and usually the next day I feel better, right? So it's going to pass. It's going to, it's going to, you know, take its detour and it's going to leave you and you'll be, you'll, you'll be better, a little bit better because that emotion won't be like lingering on you. So it's best to not really psych yourself out and get yourself more stressed through filtering those issues in a very murky way. But a lot of you Virgo and Gemini moons are like, well, wait a minute, because my lunar issues respond to Mercury. So like, what, what, what I, the only thing I do is think. The advice I could recommend to Virgo and Gemini moons is 
yes, like, there is a definite focus on thinking and, like, community, like, communication and express it in a way that isn't so internalized. And so I mean by that, journaling or writing out a plan that you think on doing and then stepping away from it immediately. Because the more you think about, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, you're going to psych yourself more out, you're going to get more stressed, you're going to get frantic. So still rely on thinking about the issue in a way that doesn't become too suffocating, in a way that doesn't become too immense for you to handle. So because I don't want to say, like, don't think about it completely because those moon signs rely on emotional responses in a way that kind of, like, stimulates the brain. And, um... But allow yourself to come up with a plan and then, you know, not be too invested in. A plan that you can feel solid about, that you feel comfortable about. And then take a step back. Because getting too much into it, too much in the detail, looking at you, Virgo, can really, really psych yourself out, make you cry. And then the emotion then becomes, it affects you very bodily, viscerally. And so take in moderation is all I have to say about that. So, so the ways on how to use your moon, reiterating from what I said before, is to, again, like, be present, don't repress, and release. Those are, the, those are like, the main points when dealing with, like, a lunar issue. And so, um, going back onto how I can use my placement to sort of think about a self-care technique, let me provide an example of what I mean by that. So, I'm going to go back to Sag Moon. Because, again, that's, like, the first thing I see. Sag moon has been on my mind a lot lately. I don't know what it is. Okay, so a Sagittarius moon, I could tell you from a just generalized looking at that placement, is a moon sign really concerned on really expansive emotional needs. They, like, require, they, like, they love a lot of things because they're ruled by Jupiter. It, they, it, the emotional responses respond to Jupiter. And so that's an access. And so um, it's a planet that is always looking forward, looking upward for truths, for um, comfortability instead of looking downward or grounded. And so advice that I would provide for a Sag moon who's looking for a self-care technique is to be aware of what you consume. And that means on an emotional level, on a physical level, on a bodily level. So things that Sag moons typically like to do is they like to um do things in excess and sometimes that excess can really bite ourselves in the ass um we can you know consume too much attention from other people too much um admiration space from other people and so the best thing to do is realize what is enough for you and that requires um some thinking which we're going to get into mercury but that also requires um, being aware. Self-awareness is such a big part of your moon sign. Um, and so when the body and your mental um, components are aligned, you feel really powerful because now you know what you want, what you need, and the awareness of how you get that. And one thing I would also say on an emotional level is that Sag Moon typically doesn't like to reflect on past experiences. They always love to look forward. And so an important technique for Sag is to sit with the emotion and reflect back on past experience and not always looking forward out into the future. Because we can't do that unless we're, we acknowledge what has happened in the past. Because the past 
helps us a lot with the present and the future. So those are some advice tips that I would give to a Sag Moon person. And then also look at aspects and see what else is going on. But that's sort of an example of how like your moon can pretty much tell you um, what you need, um, the space that you need. So if you're a Sag Moon, you're going to get agitated a lot when you're confined in little spaces, environments that are not really easygoing, they're high tense, like you're not going to benefit. So self-care would be, in that case, to provide an environment for you that you feel alive in, that you feel like you can embody in a way that feels very expansive and large instead of being so closed in and tight. I hope that makes sense. So um, now we're on to Mercury. So Mercury is really important because I wrote an article about how Mercury is really important about wellness and health, physical health and things like that. And Mercury is really close to our sun. Really, it can never be more than 28 degrees away from the sun. Correct me if I'm wrong, but can't be anything more than like 28 degrees away from the sun. So it's very important to who we are and how we express ourselves. And it relates to sort of our productivity, our thinking process, and how we become aware. And this is really important in knowing when to stop doing something when you need to. And so let me pull up my article because I wrote an article for my website a while about this. And it was pretty much about how um, Mercury, because it's so focused on productivity, productivity is such an important part of self-care. So like how we get the work done or how we approach the work. Um, If you are someone who is an Earth Mercury, you're your approach to work is going to be really substantial because I feel like Earth Mercury's have an affinity on doing shit all the time, wanting to get things done. And so in ways, our Mercury is our muscle. So we always say it's a plan of communication, transportation, basically everything mundane. But having a Mercury acting out order calls a lot of inconveniences. And so when you have a Mercury that's not balance correctly it creates a lot of egotistical problems going back to what Jessica Leonardo said and it also creates um inconveniences we become demotivated we don't want to do something and when we're not productive our energy doesn't go into the right places so we feel sort of like mudded in a hole that we can't get out of and so um even though Mercury is a small planet it matters so so much and so um the one thing i could say is that if you are someone who feels like you have an unbalanced mercury and so ways that you can assess that is if you are um pouring communication in ways that are not really balanced so you're mo- you're mostly like talking rather than listening you're expressing you know egotistical like I know myself really well or you're not talking enough where you're not expressing your identity you feel like you're not getting your points across and that's a really major issue because when it comes to boundaries and how we create boundaries part of that is communicating that to the other party so when that is not um when that is not assessed that creates a lot of issues um a lot of violations things go really haywire with that so when I wrote my article um 
I said that, you know, mercury is really essential to keep us going because of the fact that it relates to our productivity, our muscle work, things that we keep to, you know, keep going and um, it provides motivation to get us out in the world and devour it. Without our mercury in ways, we would be lifeless. We'd kind of be like floating into the void somewhere because without our mercury, we, we wouldn't have a direction on how to handle our daily lives, our routines. Like that's so important to like self-care. And something I noticed is that um, water mercuries in particular, which is Cancer, Pisces, and Scorpio, um, tend to be um, a little bit unmotivated because, you know, mercury doesn't really settle well into water. Um, and so the advice that I would would give is um and they're also really prone to give energy to people a lot of people so it's really hard for them to really kind of articulate those boundaries and so boundary making would be a really important tip that I would give to water mercuries knowing when to place rates on your energy and not give it out to anyone because they're in pain or they need help or whatever it may be um also I would settle on sort of um getting more motivated and getting out there in the world and to sort of promote the interaction because even though people are scary we're not meant to go through this world alone and I feel like Mercury really helps creating those connections and networks um an advice that I offer to earth Mercury's is because not because but since earth is so consumed with wanting to get stuff done they're really motivated by obligation especially if you're a Virgo Mercury because you're dignified here um it's important to put limits on your energy right or knowing where to stop because you're always working you're always wanting to sort of provide service or um do the best that you can be it's really hard to know when to stop and also when to go because something that people don't realize is that perfection is really kind of rooted in procrastination when we're so consumed about doing things perfect we run into sort of tropes of of procrastination so it's important to not be so consumed with the details, right? Even though you, those that say, oh, I can't stop, you can stop. You can put, you can focus on a few things, but focusing on so much things can really get into your head and you want to stop working. And then it's like, oh my God, I stopped working. I'm going to like not reach this deadline or whatever it may be. So I would say break things up. Keep yourself busy at your full capacity. There's going to be days where you don't want to do anything and that's, that's perfectly fine. That's when you know that, you know, you have a limit on yourself. Today, I'm not going to do anything because I'm not in the mood and I feel, I don't want to push myself. So that, that's the advice I provide to Earth Mercury. So Air Mercury's, if you are a Libra, Aquarius, and Gemini, you're going to be all over the fucking place. Like Mercury is fast, so is air. So what, what, what are even our limits at this point, right? So you may have a lot of things on your mind. You may have a lot of... Um, not a lot of friends because my air mercury ass doesn't have a lot of friends but um I would say um when you have a lot of connections you feel like you have a um purpose for everywhere and that can make yourself feel scattered that can make yourself not feel grounded and not feeling grounded can make you kind of float in the air and you just feel like you're a big old mess so knowing where to devote yourself right um don't overextend to where you feel like you can't meet. Um, 
and I would say don't feel like you have to do everything at once because it's going to make you stressed. It's going to make you restless. Get sleep. Get rest is the best advice that I could give because um, le- like giving yourself like a couple of hours of sleep or like a nap or whatever it may be can make you feel recharged and you don't feel like you don't have to go anywhere. And so sleep is really important here. And that's the advice that I would give for air mercuries. Fire mercuries, which is Leo, Aries, and Sag, you often lose sight of issues, right? Because air is so, not air, fire is so directive. It's passionate, you get winded up. And you often tap into survival responses. So, um, to ensure your wellness and a balanced mercury, best thing is to tap into that self-reflection, right? To know that you need to acknowledge the things that you're not good in because you don't have to be good in everything and to work on that because that's what you're good at. Motivating yourself to be better at this particular task. Um, and I would also say try and create environments that are not as irritable to you. So allowing space for yourself to be creative without much distractions. So removing yourself from spaces that can make you prone to be combative um, or fighty. Don't put yourself in situations. Create an environment that's really helpful. Um, or take yourself out of situations that can make you really directive and, and fighty. Just looking out for yourself. So those are the advice that I would give to all the Mercury's and how that relates to self-care. Is that, again, relating to productivity. Um, and how we motivate ourselves, keep ourselves going, and how to make use of our time. Which is so important to self-care because, you know, the moon is all about the space that we take up, but Mercury is telling us how we use that space, how we use our time. And that's why there's such big, important fucking parts of self-care. So the other planet I want to mention real quick because I think it is important. Venus is helpful when talking about um, our connections and, like, the things that we value and... um, in relation to self-care, you know, the things that we value about ourselves and when our Venus is not balanced, we tend to not value ourselves very well. So it's really important in creating a self-esteem. Um, but advice that I would give to Venus in the case of self-care is to, um, let me find my notes, um, is to always be true to who you are. Because we tend to want to accommodate to a lot of people. Especially if you're really heavily Libra. I have a Libra Mars and I tend to be accommodating to other people instead of really getting into my aggression. If you're one of those people, stay authentic. Going back to what Jessica Nada said. Because she did a really good presentation this past weekend. And um, we tend to accommodate our emotions for other people. Again, relating back to the whole our emotional health. So... Venus can tell us the way that we take up space in relation to other people and how we, in some ways, tend to accommodate those connections instead of ourselves. And again, going back to one of the main definitions of self-care, advocating for yourself. So that's how Venus was tied into that. Mars is important because, again, Mars is so crucial in creating boundaries, in creating um, boundaries through anger. And ownership, the other part of self-care that I mentioned earlier. So 
there are ways to know um, when you're taking ownership and when you're crossing the line and really trying to control someone. So this is really important for people who tend to think that they're overbearing or they feel like they're crossing lines. So when we are not real with ourselves, when we feel like we're accommodating or overcompensating, we tend to tend to, to control. And that's because we're not at whole with ourselves. We don't feel confident. And so that is some ways manifested in submission and in some ways manifested in dominance. And these are not the same things as owning yourself, owning your identity, owning like who you are. And so again, you know, aggression is very important in creating boundaries with with other people and knowing that uh, when you fight, this is what ticks me off, this is what ticks you off, we're going to respect that, we're going to move on. Um, but not being upfront about what bothers you and what ticks you off is going to make the other person do it again, crossing a boundary line. And so it's over this pattern. This is more like related to like, I think relationships is a really important part of this is because, you know, boundaries is really important in relationships and friendships and basically you and another person. But it's also knowing what survival mechanisms that you tend to tap in. And if those are not good survival mechanisms, there needs to be a revision, right? Um, Because some can be quite dangerous. Some are not that as dangerous, but it's important to, in ways, to not always tap into survival mode. And that's a really important part of self-care as well. So um, that's sort of the overview of all the planets tying in. The sun is also really important because the sun is you. Sun is identity. It's like your core. And the sun is really important in how you express yourselves, tying in with ownership and embodiment, um, and how you want to be seen by other people. And so knowing where the sun kind of falls in your chart, which this is for all the planets. So not just looking at the sign, but where the planets are like falling into your chart is how you ideally express yourself and how you want to be recognized right? Because you think of light, you think it's shining on something, and then waste is also reflecting. So, like Jessica Leonardo said, it's all about sort of how you want to be seen, how that's reflected back at you. And um, that's an important part of self-care because, again, I'm just going to reiterate this until you guys get it. It's all about being, securing a base for yourself that's comfortable and also owning yourself. And Sun and Mars are really big at owning who you are. It's big at your identity. They're, I mean, all these planets are important, but I would say the most important, I think, are Sun and Mars when it comes to really owning who you are and not being ashamed of doing it. So not being ashamed, look at where you feel like you're holding shame back in your lives, where you're keeping it there locked up and you're still letting it float in your energy. Let that shit go. Like, we're in the eclipse season, we're in retrograde season, which is going to help us go into the next topic. But because we're so, we're in this time of where the universe is supporting change, let that shit go and move on, write your own fucking story, do what you need to do to be in a good space. Because this is a time where the universe is supporting it, so this is your time to tap into it. Um, so the eclipse season is really 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 fun because again a lot of people cite them as wild cards in astrology 
right? Because they can they mean like massive shifts. And we have a lunar and a solar eclipse, and they mean two different things, obviously. So um, going in with what the eclipse season generally means, this is a time for big change, right? Um, it's in some ways a time for like, you know, fulfilling your destiny, um, realizing what is holding you back. So this is a really great time to get into, into retrospection mode, to self-actualization mode, realizing who you are and taking the initiative to secure that, taking, you know, whether that's cutting people out or pursuing opportunities or realizing that this is what you want to do in your life, whatever that, that may be, line it up for yourself, define it, go after it. Uh, I heard someone say that eclipse season is not really the time to like go into motion, but for me, it's like go into motion, like immerse yourself in this massive change because if you sit back and wait, those opportunities are going to leave you. They're not going to be optional. They're not going to be available to you. So go and do it now. And I don't want to say that. It's like, I'm, if you don't do it, I'm going to beat your ass. But like, the world is your oyster. Go after it. Um, because we're in a lunar eclipse this coming Friday, what this basically means is um, the, there's a full moon. And so... The present, the sun, is sort of kind of, I think, blocking the moon. Let me, like, remind myself of what a lunar eclipse actually is in the terms of, like, a literal definition. So, the lunar eclipse occurs when shadow blocks the sun. Really? Okay. So, reminding myself of these definitions. Okay. So, The lunar eclipse occurs when, the sh when Earth's shadow blocks the sun's light, which otherwise reflects off the moon. Okay. So, in ways, the past of us is, because it's a full moon, so this is like a completion of something. And this is a time where things are sort of in crisis mode, where because things are incomplete, we're sort of now, we have to do something. Like, we have to like... It's sort of like we're looking back on something. It's like what is going on. It's like accumulation, whatever the fuck they call it. Um, and it creates a shift in us because it requires us to move, right? It requires us to take that change into something. And in Aquarius, this change is centered on, in a really electric way, because, again, Aquarius rules electricity. So, like, this feeling is going to be sort of felt collectively. And finding carving out our purpose into the world it's a collective sign it's about the society and what we plan to do with it and i believe there's going to be major societal things happening probably related to country relations um some big developments in the u.s leadership um i think this might be the time where during the eclipse season we'll get major developments around that and this is the time to sort of um, kind of, in ways, because we're in crisis mode and because the sort of light from the sun is blocked, um, we're sort of left to kind of go based on our uncertainty, which to a lot of people is really scary. Um, because we don't like going into things without knowing completely 100% this is going to be the outcome. 
But living a life like that is very fucking boring. So the best way to do it is to um, is to go based on whatever you feel like is right in your inner force. Um, it might be a process to get to that. Um, we may feel kind of unmotivated. We may feel kind of lost. In Aquarius, this is all about finding your niche. Um, and so it may be harder for us to find out what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to integrate into society. But again, relating to the doing of the eclipse is to get out there. You may feel lost, but that's not going to be a permanent feeling. Like, it's, just, it's, it's not going to be. So write your own story, right? Like, this is really a time where opportunities are going to open up for you. And it's whether you take it or you don't. It's just one of those things. So fucking go for it. Um, the solar eclipse happening in Leo, again, is like the same type of, it's the same type of definition. It's occurring in Leo. So like the focus is more about the self and identity, but still kind of relating to what I said about the lunar eclipse in Aquarius. And it is the longest eclipse recorded in history. So instead of the standard an hour and 30 minutes, is going to be an hour and 40-ish minutes going to be a really fun time and on top of the eclipse we have the retrogrades so mercury retrograde in leo is um a time where you want to be aware of what you're saying right this is a time to really develop self-awareness it's a time to um be smart with your time and not rush to do things because you want to do them mercury in leo is in, in retrograde is um important for you not to put yourself in the center of every story important for you to hear both sides and not go based on the heart which typically leo is all about you know voicing um communication from the heart it's really going to make us think about things in a very rational way and so we can't I'm not saying we can't feel passionate about things but sometimes our passion is going to make us lose sight of the issue and so don't put yourself into every situation. You know, don't fall into that, oh, I know myself. I'm not this way. Again, be receptive. Listen to the other side. And a lot of us have been having really weird-ass dreams. And it's part of the um, eclipse and the retrograde where a lot of these forces are kind of turned inward and really reflecting on our subconscious. And this is a time where dreams are really kind of trying to communicate us through a subconscious level and so what I mean by that is that if you've been having feelings not feelings but if you've been having dreams of like destructive events like natural disaster because I've been having dreams of like tsunamis and water and like all those types of things those like kind of reflect a feeling of anxiety and crisis and that's your subconscious trying to communicate that through to you um how you know the dreams that you're having is simple convince yourself you're going to pay attention while you're having the dream it's really all you have to do like just make a mental note like hey i'm gonna be going to sleep the dreams that i have i'm gonna be paying attention to because literally it works for me like i like every single time i know i'm about to have a dream I'm about to go to sleep so i'm gonna have like some weird ass dream i pay attention to it like, I wake up and I know the dream that I had. I may not know detail for detail, but I know the typical theme going around that dream. And it helps trying to, you know, integrate with your subconscious and your, your inner psyche. 
because that's how you achieve wholeness in a way is sort of blending in with your subconscious and your conscious being aware of your bad and your light sides all that great stuff so yeah that's all the um talks that I have for today um remember next week I'm posting information about my store I'm going to release it so don't miss the opportunity and I will see y'all next week happy Leo season by the way